If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 1, back in John chapter 1. Or if your handout, it's printed there in your handout for you. Uh, Tim Keller, pastor of uh, Redeemer Church in New York City, uh, preached on this passage uh, about 13, 14 years ago. Um, so much of what you're hearing tonight is him with my thoughts thrown in. So I'm just throwing that out there right there at the beginning. But if you would look with me, let's, is this, there we go. Let's uh, read John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, again, John, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and, they, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who had heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and he said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida and the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, rabbi, You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered them, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Let's pray before we look into this. Father, we now come to your word and we pray that it would be to us the words of life. Would you give it to us and would you give it to us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. There's a book uh, written by a Princeton sociologist about 15 years ago. Now, before you go to sleep, I'm not going to go into the book that much. Uh, But the book was called After Heaven. And one of the conclusions that the sociologist, after all these interviews and research that he had done, one of the conclusions that he came up with in his study was that for Americans on the whole, people were willing and often eagerly willing to say that they were spiritual but not religious. He said that what people want is they want a spiritual reality, but they despise dogma and institutions. Um, And by and large, I think that's stayed the same over the last 15 years. I think being spiritual, there's nothing, people don't despise that, but you bring in institutional, traditional religion into the conversation and people say, "Uh uh-uh, back off. 
right? And I think largely the secular idea, the idea that science and reason alone can give us meaning in life and, and can make us uh, feel legitimate, I think that's failed. I think it's still attractive, no doubt, but I think people realize that there's something beyond science. There's something beyond just what I see and feel. But at the same time, people avoid traditional religion like the plague, and they avoid traditionally, uh, traditional religious people uh, like the plague, or what they remember of it, which is usually just moralism, do this and don't do that. I don't know where you fall tonight. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you hate anything that smacks of the traditional. You hate anything that smacks of the old musty church that you grew up in. You hate anything that smacks of you should listen to this because your parents believed it. Or maybe you find yourself at college and you've never known any different. Christianity is what you've always lived with. You've never questioned it. um, And you don't have a problem with that. And maybe you really couldn't care less about any of it. I think in the passage tonight, as John kind of records for here uh, for us the start of Jesus' public ministry, he's gathering his disciples and he's starting. He's going to do his first miracle at the wedding at Cana pretty quickly here. But what Jesus offers to his disciples here, what he um, offers to us, it's not traditional religion, nor is it the new spiritual, spirituality. It's not this vague general sense of something spiritual, nor is it a new set of rules, a new thing like come to me and I'll show you what to do. Neither of those. Because what Jesus offers is an encounter with himself. What Christianity offers, what the gospel offers is an encounter with a person. Pure and simple. So we're exploring uh, this semester the question, who is I am? And in our passage tonight, there's this key phrase. I wonder if you picked up on it. It helps us begin to unlock the answer, or it helps us begin to figure out where we should look for the answer. Did you catch that phrase? The way to Jesus is to come and see. It's repeated here in our passage tonight. There's four things I just want to, what does that mean? What does come and see mean? Well, the first thing I think it means is this. Come and think. In other words, come and examine the evidence. It's laid out there for you. Come and take a look. Take a look for yourself. Uh, John the Baptist tells his disciples, the Lamb of God. This is actually the second time that he's told his disciples, look, the Lamb of God. And it's only the second time that two of his disciples said, okay, I want to go see what this is all about. And so they leave John and they start following Jesus. And it's so funny because Jesus turns around and he looks straight in the eye and says, what are you looking for? What are you doing? So John the Baptist has just made this claim about who Jesus is. These two are going to go figure it out. And you notice that Jesus doesn't turn around and say, okay, you're following me. Now listen up. You have to listen to everything I say. You got to do it now. Fall in line and you will be okay. He says, what does he say to him? Come along and you'll see. Come see how I live. Come see what I talk about. Come see the things that I am doing or I'm about to do. And then you've got Philip here. Philip, uh, Jesus finds him and says, follow me. And he does. And so he goes and finds Nathaniel. And he says, we found the Messiah. He's convinced. And you notice Nathaniel comes back with a very legitimate question, okay? Because what did the, the Old Testament talked about a Messiah that would come? But the Old Testament talked about a Messiah that would come from Bethlehem. Philip has come to Nathaniel and said, We've, we're following the Messiah. He's from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, wait a minute, Nazareth? Could this be the one? And what, what does Philip say? He says, 
Let's go find out. Come and see. And so, you know, and we face Nathaniels all the time. There's perfectly legitimate questions out there. One that is constantly swirling. How can there be a good, loving, and merciful God with all the junk that is going on out there? That's a perfectly legitimate question. We're scared to death of that question, I think. I am. How do we answer that? But what what does Jesus say? What does the Bible offer to a question like that? It's It's not spirituality. The Bible does not say, go and figure it out for yourself, and that'll work. That's pretty convenient. That requires no thinking. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, come and think. See for yourself. It's also not traditional religion. It doesn't say shut up and don't ask any questions. No. Jesus says, come on. Take a look for yourself. Come and think. You know, it's easy for the gospel writers to kind of invite us in to do that, right? To come and think. Come and examine the evidence. Because it's easy for them to say they were with Jesus Like, hey, come over here. He's over here. Come listen to him. It's easier for them to say back then. But y'all got to remember, the Apostle John, he's writing some uh, maybe 30, 40, 50 years after Jesus' death. He is writing to people that are in the same boat as us as far as going and seeing Jesus. But what does he say? Come and see. I think there's an answer in the passage here. Look at verse 36. We see that when John the Baptist saw Jesus passing by, he said, behold, or look, the Lamb of God. Okay, a handful of times John the Baptist says this in the first chapter, and the Greek word literally means to bear witness. Often we'll see him say, look, and then John the Baptist said, and that word in the Greek there is he bore witness. John was a witness to Jesus, a testimony that would have been admissible in court. So, um, For John to use, for the gospel writer to use words like that over and over again, he's saying, come and look at what I saw. I was there. I saw it with my own eyes. John the Baptist is saying the same things to his disciples. I am seeing with my own eyes. Go and take a look. Look at verse 39. This is kind of interesting that uh, John says that when they went, they went and stayed with him because it was about the 10th hour. It's about 4 p.m. How in the world would John have known that? Other than that, he was there. Yeah, I remember that day. We went and stayed with him because it was late. It was about 4 o'clock. So I I want you to kind of just see what John's saying here. He's not saying go and just like ingest this and meditate on for a while. It's not just some inward experience. It's not like a trust the force type of thing and it'll lead the way. It's come and examine the evidence. It's there for you. Read my account. Come and see like I did. But here's the question. How will we know? when we have come and seen? How will we know that we have seen Jesus the way that John is inviting us in to see him? I think you'll know when you've been pushed to one of two extremes. You come to the gospel accounts, you come to read what Jesus did, what he said, you're reading this and that, and you're hearing the writer say, I was there, I saw this, and then I saw this, and then I saw this. You only have one of two options when you read that. You can reject it, you can But to reject it is to believe that there was these Jewish men that went out and made up this elaborate system of lives, lies, very coherent, that all fit together in their own way. They spread those lies. It spread like wildfire, and then they went to die for those same lies. You're also saying that these men, these Jewish men, wrote an elaborate fiction with style and detail that anticipated a genre of literature that would not come for, more, for almost 2,000 years. 
Kind of that detail. You know, we read a fiction novel today, and we read like they left the coffee shop at 4 p.m. Fiction back then didn't write like that. So you either believe that they're lies, or you actually believe that the creator God became a man and came down to save us. There's no middle ground there. There's really not. You, they're either liars or it's true. It's kind of like the classic C.S. Lewis. Lewis always, uh, in Mere Christianity, says, Jesus could not have been just a good moral teacher. Because either he wasn't God and therefore he was a liar, or he believed, he really believed he was God and therefore he was a lunatic, or he really was God, therefore he's Lord. You can't have it any other way. You can't just call him a good moral teacher. The only way you can know, how can we know? Come and see. Come and look. But it's more than that. It's not just come and think. It's uh, move on a second. This is a short point. Come and relate. Meaning process it with friends. Did you notice the pattern here? John the Baptist leads two of his disciples. They go and get, one of them goes and gets his brother. Another, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. We've got this pattern here. In other words, the norm is to find Jesus with friends. That's what happens here. And what, I think what's so true for many of us is that we found Jesus by being found by a friend who had found Jesus. Or we, at very least, didn't know him like we thought we did until we got to know someone who knew him. Most of you come tonight with a friend. Maybe you're here because your friends are here. Uh, maybe some of you aren't. But regardless of that, you will not process what you hear in Scripture without friends, without someone else. If Christianity were this philosophy where you went and saved yourself, I would tell you just go out and meditate, let it have its way with you, and you'll find your way. But Christianity is an encounter with a person. The, the second, secondary way that we find him, the primary, Caleb touched on this through Scripture, the secondary way that we find him is through friends, through people, through relationships. That's why we do small groups. You know, I, I get the feeling, I know a lot of y'all, y'all are busy. Y'all are, you know, we don't do small groups just to add another calendar list for you, and I hope that's not what they are to you. We do small groups because it's good to get together and talk. Say, what is this thing I'm thinking about? What is this thing I'm seeing here in the Bible? You'll never see Jesus if you don't see him in relationship. Peter in 1 Peter puts it like this. Like living stones, we are being built up as a spiritual house. That's such a weird picture. And he says, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. It's all wrapped up in being part of his people. You, examine, you can examine the evidence through your blue in the face, but you never fully find him alone. You can't. You've been called to a relationship with a Savior, but by definition, you've also been called into a relationship with his people, the ones he came to save. Come and relate. Talk to somebody. Next one's come and follow. What we see is Jesus says, come and be changed. Jesus turns to the John the Baptist, two disciples, and he says, what are you looking for? And at some point in our lives, I think we all face this question. Why are, you, why, why are you here? What are we doing? Why do we do this week in and week out? 
What do we really want from Jesus? And look at verse 43. What Jesus comes to Philip and says is, follow me. Follow me. There's a change that happens. You're going from point A to point B. You're making, you're making a decision. You're doing something. Jesus says, follow me. Jesus doesn't say, come blindly. He doesn't say, go figure it out for yourself by yourself. But he does say that this is more than just agreeing with who I am. This is more than just agreeing with what I say. I want you to be changed. How does that happen? I think it's a good illustration. Maybe it's not. Um, But imagine, imagine, stretch of the imagination here. Imagine you have a favorite professor, okay? You've thoroughly enjoyed his or her classes, okay? So much so that you, you work really hard on the assignment. You love the assignments they give, so you work really hard on them, okay? You love taking their test. You love just hearing them lecture, okay? Maybe you've had that experience. Maybe you haven't. But imagine that's true, okay? Maybe, maybe you even sign up for this professor's classes just because you like the way they teach so much. But on the other hand, now imagine this. Imagine you married that professor, it's a whole new ball game, is it not? Okay? Everybody's chuckling, yes, nice. Because when you marry someone, every part of your life now becomes wrapped up in theirs and vice versa. Right? There's no choice about it. I think that's the difference between liking what Jesus offers, agreeing with who Jesus is, and agreeing with what he offers, and actually being his disciple. You see, the first, Jesus is kind of this helpful add-on post-it note to my life. But in the second, he's the reason that I get up in the morning. You know, Paul said, to live is Christ. What in the world did he mean by that? How does this happen in our lives? I think the passage tells us this again too. Look at verse 51. How does that happen in our lives where we've made this difference between kind of nodding our head along with Jesus and actually giving our entire lives to him? Look at verse 51. I think what it is telling us is that we take him at his word. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, or some uh, versions say, I tell you the truth. The, what he's literally saying, before he says what he's going to say, he says, amen, amen, and then he says what he's going to say. When do we say amen? When we agree with someone, right? After they, somebody says something and somebody says, you know, maybe not too much in Presbyterian churches, not enough at least. Um, Presbyterian jokes, ha um, <laughs> um we say it when we agree or approve someone's words. But Jesus begins, begins his own statement by saying amen to his own words. What is he getting at? That would be just as strange um, then as it would be now if I did that. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, I take away your right to decide if you like what I have to say. Okay? He's not saying you have to follow me, but he's saying if you do, I take away your right to decide whether you like what I say. You can't decide when and if and where you'll follow Jesus based on where you agree with it. If you just want to come and see the evidence, all you have to do is believe that the Bible is reliable reporting. But to know him, to be his disciple, you approach him according to his word all of it. All of it. Either he said all of it, or what are we going to do with the rest of it? If we take this out here or that out there, 
And that kind of sounds like the old-time, traditional, impersonal, dry, musty, moldy church religion. But it's actually quite the opposite because if you read the Bible and you say, well, I can dig that, but not really this, what kind of Jesus do you have? One that you've made for yourself. Think about this. If you date someone, if you date someone and, you, and the two of you never contradict each other, that is not a real relationship. You're just using each other to make yourselves feel good. Let's be honest. That is impersonal. And look, I, I'm, by saying this, I'm not proving by any stretch of the imagination that you have to trust everything in the Bible. What I'm saying is, if you don't, you're just listening to yourself. To have a personal relationship with Jesus is to take him at his word. To let him cross you. To let him expose you. At least this is the last one here. I think ultimately what Jesus does here, what John does through Jesus, is he invites us to come and wonder. To be amazed. The most interesting part of the story, and I wish we had more time to kind of think about it and talk about it. But when Jesus interacts with Nathaniel... And we don't know, really know why, but Nathaniel just all of a sudden like, uh, what? You did, you saw what? You are, you are the Messiah. And we don't know the details. But we don't need the details to really get this. Have you ever seen a movie, maybe not everybody's seen it or not everybody knows about, but you've seen a movie that you just absolutely love and you cannot wait for all your friends to see it. So you come to your friends and you're trying to tell them about this awesome movie that you just saw and you're trying to explain it, but you don't want to give away the movie and you don't, you don't want to go here, you don't want to go there. And finally you come to one conclusion, the only thing you can say is what? You're just going to have to go see it. Right? Everybody's going through that, right? I'm not alone on that. Um... Jesus' response to Nathaniel is, you think that's amazing, the fact that I knew what you were doing under a fig tree? You haven't seen the half of it. Verse 51, he says, catch this. Read this with me, verse 51. He says, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Do you remember this story? Does this ring a bell? Genesis 28, Jacob um, is fleeing his brother Esau. He's fleeing for his life. He's stolen Esau's birthright. And he stops in the desert one night and he goes to sleep and he has this dream. And we're told in Genesis twenty-eight twelve that Jacob saw a ladder set up on the earth. The top reached to heaven and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. See what Jesus is saying? Jesus is claiming to be the ladder that Jacob saw. Meaning Jesus is claiming to be the way to heaven, the gate to heaven, the way into the presence of God himself. And what Jesus is saying is we're not climbing the ladder. He is it. There's an old Sunday school song that says, we are climbing, climbing, climbing Jacob's ladder, ladder, ladder. No. Jesus says, I am the ladder. I am the way. And this is the key to everything. Because every other religion, everything that we have made Christianity to be maybe, I don't know, says that you come this way. You follow this set of rules. You keep this standard. And this is how you go. But um, 
Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, I come and I've kept the standard for you. I come and I free you from the bondage of standard keeping altogether. You notice he didn't say the angels and, uh, were going up to Jesus, up to the Son of Man. He says they're going to ascend and descend on him. On him. For most of us, I think all of our spiritual problems are rooted right here in not understanding this. That Jesus lived and died. We understand that. Jesus lived and died. That's what gets me in. But then where do we find ourselves the next day? Right back on the treadmill. Signing up for every small group. Pressuring myself into this and that and stretching myself then by the end of the week. I have no idea which way is up. Jesus doesn't amaze us. What he does is he stands over us wagging his finger saying, why haven't you straightened this part up yet? And he's tapping his toe constantly along the way. And so what we find ourselves is that we're not following Christ because we don't love him. And we don't love him because we have not believed that he loves us. And we have not believed that he loves us just the way we are. You understand that's what he tells Nathaniel? tells Nathaniel, I know exactly who you are. Nathaniel almost falls backwards. Just to wrap this up, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is telling Nathaniel is that all those other Bible stories, I'm not just another Bible story. I am the story. I'm not just another way. I am the way. I'm not just another way that helps you feel your way out. I am what you need saying it's not about what I have come to give you to do for me. It's what I've come to do for you. That's it. That great hymn that we heard at the beginning, Laurel sang for us. Upon a life I did not live. Upon a death I did not die. Another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. How in the world could that be true? You know, I'll apologize for many of us in the room. A lot of times, many of us who believe that, we give ourselves off as those who know all the answers because we feel like we do. But I'll just be honest with you. At times, really, all we can tell you is this. Come and see. Come and, just come and look at it. Come and think about it just for a little while. Come talk to somebody. Come and be changed. Come and wonder at the fact that a life you did not live and a death that you did not die pays all of it. It is that amazing and it is that true and it does apply to each and every day of your life, not just the first day you heard it. And it does cover what you did yesterday and guess what? It covers what you're gonna do tomorrow. And the moment that you think it doesn't is the moment that it's coming back to you telling, come and see. Take a look. It's not a to-do list. It's not an eraser board. It's a person. His name's Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that we would see Jesus, Father, as the one 
upon whom our whole lives are staked. Father, our salvation already accomplished and by your spirit daily, even hourly being applied to our hearts and our lives. Forgive us when we feel like we figured it all out. Forgive us when we hop back on that treadmill and think that we just haven't given you enough. Would we be reminded that this Jesus is the one that gave it all and it's all we need and to him all We owe. We pray all these things in his name. Amen.